Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Greenhouse SaaS. My name is James and I'm here with my fellow environmental colleagues, Sandro and Karun. In today's episode, we are going to talk about something that is currently worrying the world. Something that despite being thousands of years old and is very stressed lately, could also rapidly disappear in its third mass bleaching event in the last five years. No, we are not talking about Donald Trump's toupee. We are here today to talk about coral reefs or what's left of them anyway. Thanks, James. I think Corona and I should do the intros from now on. But yes, coral reefs are in trouble. So let's dive into talking about it. Nice pun. So Sandro, how about you give us the obligatory layman's rundown? What are coral reefs and why do they matter? You can think of coral reefs as the rainforests of the sea. They are biodiversity hotspots, and they actually support an estimated 25% of marine life while occupying less than 1% of the ocean floor. So these corals, like they function as cities of the sea, like the animals live and gather around them in these literal coral cities. Yeah, more or less. You can think of these reefs as the hottest nightclubs in the ocean. On any given day, you could see anything from sea stars all the way up to whales. You just never know who's going to show up. And this is unique to coral reefs, right? Like in the rest of the ocean, you're not seeing this kind of activity. Exactly. So you can think of coral reefs as like the major intersections of marine society. They're usually in warmer, shallower waters and are spread out all over the world. Some of the biggest and most famous coral reefs in the world are the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, Apo Reef in the Philippines, Mesoamerican Reef in the Caribbean Basin, the Barrier Reef in Florida Keys, and New Caledonian Reef in New Caledonia. And these creatures, they set up shop and then life can build off of them. Okay, wait, but are, are these, these are rocks? All I know is they give surfers concussions. <laughs> Not quite. That, that's a pretty common misconception, though. Corals are actually animals. They float around freely in the ocean as tiny larvae, and they settle onto a substrate. And once they're attached, the larvae actually undergo a process called metamorphosis and become a polyp. And then the polyps begin to create a hard exoskeleton around themselves. Okay, so I'm imagining like tiny insect larvae eggs, they latch onto rocks, and then these eggs transform into polyps? Sure. Uh, kind of. I mean, they're not exactly insects or eggs, but whatever helps you visualize it, I guess. Um, I'm just going to imagine a surfer guys... spashing his head open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, sounds like you got some personal beef. Uh, I got a reef corals. tattoo yeah, last year Dude, in just Costa hit Rica. The, just hit the beach breaks, man. Do you lose some good. homies? <laughs> or go to the point breaks, man. We got one right here. <laughs> all right. The barrels anyway. are in the reefs. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So think of polyps as relatives of like jellyfish and sea anemones. They can range in size from a pinhead to about a football and look like an upside down jellyfish. You look like an upside down jellyfish. Oof. Whoa, you're right. Uh, Karun, say something SpongeBobby. Okay, hold on. First of all, no, I don't. Second, it's quarantine and I haven't had a haircut in like a year, okay? We've only been in lockdown a few weeks. Don't worry, Karun. You're still a timeless beauty in my eyes. Eat shit. <laughs> anyway, back to the polyp. So the polyp lives inside the skeleton where it is safe from predation. And the polyp reproduces through a process called budding. Wait, is that like when two straight guys end up using the... Hold, hold on, I'm just going to stop you right there. You don't even know what I'm going to say. No, but I know you well enough that 
my intuition tells me I don't have to. Sandro, just just go on. Yeah, let me let me just recap what we've talked about so far. So the coral polyp starts creating a calcium carbonate exoskeleton, which is similar to many other marine creatures like crabs, lobsters, and shellfish. And while building up its skeletal defense system, the polyp also multiplies through budding. Budding is basically when a new organism develops from an outgrowth of a parent organism. So because every new polyp has just one parent, they're actually exact clones of each other. And as the coral polyps continue multiplying and building a skeleton around themselves, the colony expands and can become as large as a living room. Uh, like a New York City or a Wichita living room? <laughs> uh, somewhere in the middle. Probably like a Tampa Bay living room. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. No, definitely big enough to have like a full entertainment, you know, surround sound system. But remember, these things start popping up all around each other. And when two of these colonies come close to one another on the reef, they have two options. They can either fuse together and form a single colony or compete with each other for space. Ooh, sounds like some marine-based capitalism. Yeah. Uh, you could almost think of these competing coral colonies as houses in Game of Thrones. You guys remember that show? Is that no. show still relevant? <laughs> yeah, me neither. But anyways, the corals are all either forming alliances or fighting each other for space. And that's why when you Google coral reefs, all these spectacular photos of these brightly colored reefs pop up and there's all these different species vying for space. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of those pictures. I get so lost scrolling through all those photos. I honestly can't believe they're real. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. The amazing colors you see in corals actually come from single-celled algae that live inside the coral skeleton. These algae receive shelter, and in return, they produce sugars through photosynthesis. And the polyps let them live there so that they can feed on these sugars in a kind of you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back dynamic. Is that like a reverse sugar daddy dynamic? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. While the skeleton <laughs> provides some protection, there are fish that just really don't care. And parafish are a great example. They actually eat the polyp and the skeleton. And here's a fun fact. After the skeleton's been digested and pulverized, the parrotfish actually poops it out to create sand. Wow, digested and pulverized. That's the most metal statement you've made on this show. But let's be clear here. Not all sand is fish poop. So, you know, let's not go worrying people about our beaches being giant piles of poop. The only giant pile of poop in our country is Wall Street. <laughs> wow, edgy. But, I mean, for real, the only good thing about sea level rise is that Wall Street will get submerged. Yeah, speaking of, sea level rise is extremely relevant to coral reefs, and it's closely connected to ocean acidification. Excuse me. Oh, hey, Mama Nature. How you doing? Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I have heard you talk for the last God knows how long. And all I hear is science this, science that. But let's look at who's actually to blame here. It is all of y'all. I don't hear anyone talking about what humans are doing, how humans are messing up my babies all in the ocean. So here it is. You want to go on your vacation, swim in some beautiful waters, in some tropical paradise, take your Instagram pictures and post it on Instagram, become an influencer, forget that dream. It's not going to happen. Okay, let's say you get there and your plane doesn't crash because I didn't spike it down with a thunderbolt and you swim in my waters. But of course, you have to put on sunscreen because you're so responsible. So you put on sunscreen, you lather it on your skin, then you go swimming in my reefs, and then 
all that washes off. And do you know what happens? It gets all in the little baby polyps and they get sick. I, Mama Nature, I would just like to clarify that I don't wear sunscreen because I have melanin. Well, congratulations. So everyone take a note from my beautiful brown friend over here and do not wear sunscreen. Actually, don't even go there. Don't even go to the tropical paradise. Just stay in your cold place that you are. Stay indoors. Don't go outside and stay the hell away from my babies. Okay, Mama Nature, thank you. Okay, Mama Nature, out. That was our beloved uh, Mama Nature giving us a little lecture. Mama loves you all. Damn, we just got toasted. Well, I guess we probably deserved it. But uh, let's get back to talking about sea level rise and ocean acidification. Okay, so it all ties back to greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. Carbon dioxides have significantly increased due to human activities, but it is not the only greenhouse gas. Uh, Methane is also a big problem. Uh, It has... 28 times the global warming potential is carbon dioxide. Yeah, and actually most of the methane emissions comes from cow burps. Yum. Quick shout out to uh, one of our entrepreneurial friends that started a company called Symbrosia to address this problem. They discovered that feeding a certain type of seaweed to cows reduces their methane emissions by 99%. This is not a paid advertisement. But it could be. We could create an entire podcast series on climate change, and maybe we should, but we just want to introduce the concept. It's relevant to coral reefs because these greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane trap heat from the sun on Earth, causing the temperature to rise. It's almost like you threw a blanket over the Earth. This in turn leads to melting ice and thermal expansion of the oceans. Yeah, and so without going too deep into... (laughs) Punlarious. You're welcome. Oh my god. Besides sea level rise, greenhouse gases, specifically carbon dioxide, is responsible for ocean acidification. And we'll cover this in our new segment, Chemistry. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the chemistry zone. There's actually nothing special about this segment besides that I'm only going to talk about chemistry. So buckle up. There are a few molecules we need to keep in mind. Carbonate is the most important one here. It reacts with calcium to form calcium carbonate, which is the molecule that coral polyps use to create their skeleton. We want calcium carbonate. Here's the problem. When humans emit CO2, it reacts with the ocean, H2O, and they form H2CO3. This molecule is called carbonic acid. When carbonic acid dissociates, it loses an H, which is hydrogen, so more hydrogens are then floating around the ocean. The pH scale literally measures the concentration of H+, so more H+, or hydrogens, translates to a lower pH, meaning more acidic. Now, carbonate, instead of bonding with calcium, which allows the polyps to produce their skeletons, will bond with hydrogen because there are more of them around. With the additional hydrogen, the carbonate cannot bond with calcium to produce calcium carbonate, which is the one we wanted. Think of this like marriage. Carbonate should be bonded with its spouse, calcium, but it bonds with a promiscuous stranger, hydrogen, instead. And there are more promiscuous strangers around because of humans. Go figure. 
Now, as for the coral polyps and other crustaceans, without calcium carbonate, making their shells and skeletons is like trying to make guacamole without avocados. If you try that, you're going to have a bad time. Phew. Okay, I was not going to last much longer. That was intense. Whenever I dabble in chemistry, my life flashes before my eyes. Yeah, at least it wasn't physics. <laughs> With that surface level, pun intended, understanding uh, of sea level rise and ocean acidification, we can talk about one of the biggest buzzwords in the environmental field, coral bleaching. So this process is often simplified as corals turning white and the reef ecosystems dying. But we're here to give you the full scoop. Lay the science on them, Sandro. Oh, yeah. See, when ocean temperatures increase, polyps that we were talking about earlier become really stressed out. And if they become too stressed, they actually expel the algae that live within their skeleton. I mean, makes sense. Uh, when I get stressed, I also start expelling stuff from within. What? Anyways, that's why <laughs> they lose their coloring and become white. Or, as the term implies, bleached. Without the algae reflecting light through photosynthesis, their color fades. This is problematic for both the algae and the polyp. Once expelled, the free-floating algae is vulnerable to predation. Meanwhile, the polyp loses its steady food supply of incoming sugars that the algae was producing, so the polyp is also at much higher risk of dying. And that is how coral reefs die. Man, I can't believe we're just breaking up friendships like that. 2020 had the third mass bleaching event of the Great Barrier Reef in the last five years. Hey, at least the Australian government is taking action. In April of this year, they invested $150 million to protect the Great Barrier Reef. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Back to coral bleaching, though. To add salt to injury. Are you done? Nope. Oh, my God. To make matters worse, corals can't rebound quickly enough to keep up with the increased frequency of bleaching events. This is especially true because the polyps are having a harder time producing their skeleton due to ocean acidification. Like many things in science, this truth is a hard pill to swallow. But there is hope. And we are here to give you some DIY solutions to help the polyps and algae stay friends. Okay, before we get into that, how can we help our listeners reduce their impact on corals? Uh, give us your hot take. All right. Thanks for the reminder. My hot take is kind of more of a lukewarm take. Uh, boring. That's no fun. Oh, no, no, no. It's good. It's good. Listen up. Uh, have, you guys heard of, uh, <laughs> have you guys heard of coral transplantation? Is that when two straight guys? <sighs> no, we haven't. No. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I want to hear the rest of that. No, you we take don't. an ice cube and a pitching wood. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, so coral transplantation is basically moving corals from areas with less suitable conditions to areas of more suitable conditions for that specific species. And in theory, this sounds like a really effective method for helping coral reefs under climate change, and it can in fact help boost population numbers. But introducing species of corals into novel climates and locations can have unexpected effects on the local ecosystem. For example, the new coral species may outcompete existing corals, or other marine species may follow the coral, which then changes the ecosystem dynamic, or they might bring pathogens or other microbes with them when they're transplanted. So coral transplanting is appropriate in some contexts, and it can be an effective climate adaptation strategy, but we need to be really careful about moving species around. Uh, wow, that was a really lukewarm take. Uh, it's still a cool conservation practice to know about, and we hear similar stories like on land where uh, humans try to introduce uh, new species to get control of an invasive species, 
and that new species just kind of ends up ruining everything. So it seems kind of similar, but still really cool, and we should do more research in that field. All right, so let's get back into some things we and our listeners can do to help corals. Kind of building off that, like a lot of that comes down to just reducing your carbon footprint to reduce kind of your impact on climate change and ocean acidification. Yeah. Cut back on carbon emissions any way you can. Some of the easy, obvious ones that immediately come to mind is stop using as many things that use fossil fuels, electricity or gasoline, so drive less. Use LED light bulbs instead of fluorescence or incandescence. Uh, Just use less electricity in general. Unplug stuff when not in use, so on. These are great, but a lot of our green listeners probably already do most of these things. How about some pro tips if we really want to show the corals some pure raw dog, unadulterated love? download and use the Ecosia search engine. It's like Google, but every time you do a search, the money generated from the advertisements is used to plant trees instead of fund Sergey Brin's next mansion. I love Ecosia. Here's one for our fellow SB homies. Use reef-safe sunscreen and surfboard wax. That way you can shred while supporting the cause. Yeah, nice. So another good one is every time you buy flights, you can actually purchase carbon offsets too. Air travel has a huge carbon footprint, and you have the power to kind of negate that within reason. Uh, So these carbon offsetting projects are like basically you spend money to fund things like planting more trees or preserving land to sequester more carbon. Uh, You can't abuse that, but it's a handy thing to use once in a while uh, if you're like, we want to offset some of your vacation flight. Also, tying back to our last episode on microplastics, Use less stuff. This one is huge for reducing your carbon footprint. Everything you buy, from clothing to phones to appliances to your creepy hobbyist mannequin collection. I, I need that, though. It's necessary. <laughs> do, do you, though? All that has a carbon footprint <laughs> attached to it. The, uh, the world would be a worse product. place if I didn't have one. <laughs> um, I dream of a world where you don't have those. Anyway, all this stuff has a carbon footprint from making it to shipping it to the store or shipping it to your front door. So next time you're on Amazon, uh, adding clothes or shoes or in James's case, uh, more mannequins, just really (laughs) stop and ask yourself, do you need this crap? Yeah, living like a rapper or whatever James is living like is great, but you do not want to know Drake's carbon footprint. Yeah. Yeah. I just have one more for electricity. You can actually enroll in renewable energy with your utility provider. In SB, we have Southern California Edison, and the option is called Green Rate. And if you do this, all of your energy comes from clean sources. Yeah. Another huge one uh, for reducing your carbon footprint is your diet. So eat less meat in general. Uh, That's a really great strategy for reducing your footprint. Yeah, especially red meat. Lamb and beef have the highest associated greenhouse gas emissions, and that's followed by cheese and pork. Yeah. Uh, If you're big on seafood, then be conscious about your choices. For instance, catching some herbivorous fish can undermine coral reef resilience because those fish eat algae that compete with coral. If the algae population is unchecked, it'll take up all the space, and coral will not be able to establish. Yeah, and a really important one, especially because it's 2020, go out and vote. Vote for candidates at the local, state, and national levels who make the environment and fighting climate change their priority. Yeah, and to all our listeners, uh, you should really check out coral reefs if you have the chance. If you're lucky, you might come face-to-face with a great white. Oh, uh, I wouldn't call myself lucky if I came face-to-face. They're super rare. 
I guess that's true. <laughs> I'd be lucky if I survived. Okay. Um, came back and told all my friends. Anyway, as always, thank you guys for tuning in to learn about our underwater homies. And we hope you all are as excited as we are for our next episode on the environment, technology, and the economy. Stay sassy. Woo!